Well, we're really excited. We are uh, in a series we started last week on the book of Revelation, and uh, we're studying about who and what Jesus is, a revelation of Jesus Christ, and we're looking into the end time program of God's plan for mankind. Today's subtitle is, You Are Golden. And so last week, as we did our introduction uh, of our series called Brand New, we looked at the aspect of what God is doing and what God has done in our lives through Jesus Christ. And we shared with you a specific promise that we're standing on during this series. And it's found in Revelation 1 and verse 3, where John writing says, Blessed is he who reads those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written in it for the time is near. Now notice our part is to read, to hear, and to keep the word that is spoken in this book of Revelation. And then we will walk in the blessing of God. But I want to just highlight one other important uh, two words here where it says right at the end of this verse, it says the time is near. Many have uh, misunderstood this uh, writing here to mean that John was expecting it to happen still in his lifetime. And so they've gone on and said, well, it didn't happen. So obviously he had got some things or interpretations wrong. But the reality is this, the time is near does not necessarily make a reference to a precise time frame, but rather a call for the body of Christ and believers to be urgent and diligent in their obedience. Actually, in the King James Version, it says these things will take place shortly. And this word shortly in the ancient Greek is the word entakai. And it actually means quickly or suddenly coming to pass, indicating the speed of execution once the beginning takes place. In other words, the idea is not that the event will occur, occur soon, but rather when it does occur, it will be sudden. And if you understand the Bible, especially in the New Testament, you'll see many references to where suddenly this happened or suddenly this took place. And so it's a reference to God doing something in an urgent fashion when it begins to unfold. And so our responsibility or our response to God and his word is to be urgent and diligent. Let's move on to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4. And today we're going to be looking at specifically chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches. But here in verse 4, he references them and it says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now this is a very interesting and powerful verse. Notice that this letter is written to the seven churches. And then he goes on and he says, grace and peace to you. Who's this grace and peace coming from? Notice the, the terminology here. It says, to him who is, who was, and who is to come. John was actually referring to Yahweh, which is the name of God in the Old Testament, which was so holy, it was 
I am that I am, and he was simply referring to the Godhead, the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's a powerful confirmation that this letter or this chapter is so relevant to the church. And notice that as we walk in this, as we walk in the fullness of God, we're going to experience grace and peace. So let's look at a few things here. Let's first look at the seven churches. All right. Later on, we'll see the seven churches are represented by the seven lampstands. And they are the seven churches which were actually alive and functioning in the area of Asia. But also we'll notice today that it was a prophetic word to the global church, which is in the present or current season. Now remember last week we spoke about, write down what is past, present, and future. And present was speaking to the church that was then and is still today. In other words, we are in the dispensation of the church. And so this letter to the churches is so relevant It was relevant then, but it's relevant today. So it extends all the way to us today. And some even believe that these seven churches represented specific errors in the history of the church and things the church went through. And we'll refer to some of those things as we feel necessary. But here's the reality. These letters to each of the churches must be interpreted historically, to give us context, pastorally, to understand their spiritual significance, and practically, so that we know how to apply it to our individual lives today. And so we apply it to all these three areas, and it produces a prophetic application to our lives and the lives of the church. And so we're going to see, as we look at this, we're going to look at introducing these seven churches to you just for a moment. And I want to speak about their strengths as well. So here we go. Here are the seven churches. It was the church at Ephesus, which was known as the Loveless Church. It was the church of Smyrna, the suffering church. It was the church of Pergamum, the worldly church. The church of Thyatira, the church with the wrong doctrine. It was the church of Sardis that was referred to as being spiritually dead. Then the church of Philadelphia, the church that was spiritually alive. And finally, the church of Laodicea, which was the complacent church. Now, we've given you the references to each of these churches in chapter 2 and 3. And I would encourage you this week to go read them and meditate on them a little bit. Also, you'll notice that each of these church churches represented a specific area and it had strengths and weaknesses. So the church of Ephesus was a hard-working church, patient, they rejected evil, and they were persevering. The church in Smyrna endured suffering, was poverty-stricken, and yet Jesus says you are rich in faith. The church of Pergamum was loyal to Christ and refused to deny him. The church at Thyatira had their loving place. They had faith and good works. They were patient, enduring, and constantly improving. What a great example. Then we see the church of Sardis. 
They were faithful. These are their strengths. They were faithful. They kept the faith. But the church was still struggling with spiritual death. And then we have the church of Philadelphia, which is probably the church we all want to be. It was spiritually alive. They had kept God's word, and they had not denied the name of Jesus. And then to me, the church that was probably in the worst condition, if I could say that, was the complacent church, the church of Laodicea. And notice here, it had no strength. And so we must realize today that it's so important that we are able to, as we grow in grace, to remain in the place God wants us to be. So secondly, now we have the intro to the seven churches, and then we see that as we understand this, there comes this grace and peace. Let's just remind ourselves about the significance of grace. Grace is God's divine influence on a person's heart resulting in unmerited favor and ability. And you know, in 1 Peter 1 verse 13, it says it so beautifully. Therefore, gird up the mind of, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, now look at this, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting? As Christ revealed himself, and we saw that last week, it increased grace and peace in the life of the believer. So the more we get to know Jesus, the more we experience him, the more grace and peace will manifest in our lives. What does peace mean? Well, this peace is that attitude of rest and tranquility, a sense of wholeness in my life where there is nothing missing, nothing broken, and it carries the idea of prosperity and success. Now, please remember, this isn't always an outward thing, but it's an inward condition that we have because of who we are. Now, what does this result in? This results in us being blessed. You see, grace and peace facilitates for God's blessing. And so when we spoke about the blessing in the promise that we're standing on, This is some of the promise that God is going to manifest in our lives. This is the blessing. The moment you and I are born again, you have Jesus in your life. And when you have Jesus in your life, it attracts good things into your heart. So see yourself walking in his abundant supply every day. You see, we don't chase the blessing. We follow Jesus. And so we can grow. Then we look at the seven spirits. All right? it's, notice it's said in this verse that the seven spirits that were before the throne. And let's just look at this. You know, the seven spirits who were before the throne speak of the perfect and complete ministry of the Holy Spirit. We see John declaring his faith all the way down through verse 7. But he introduces a picture of the Holy Spirit in his many expressions and dynamic activity in the life of the church, but also in the life of each of us as individual believers. These are the seven spirits or the characters of the Holy Spirit represented in his dynamic working in each of the life of every believer. Number one, the spirit of life, Romans 8 verse 2. Number two, the spirit of of intercession, Romans 8, verse 26 to 27. The spirit of truth, 1 John 4, verse 6. 
the spirit of wisdom. According to Ephesians 1 verse 17. The spirit of holiness. According to Romans 1 verse 4. And the spirit of glory or honor and praise. This word glory means honor and praise. And worship or to show forth. According to 1 Peter 4 14. So this tells me these are the ministries of the Holy Spirit into and through the life of every believer. As we grow in Christ, as we learn to yield to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, He will do these things. He will bring life. He will help us to be prayer warriors and intercessors. He'll help us walk in our adoption. He'll bring forth the truth. He'll help us to grow in holiness. And He'll bring wisdom in our lives. And finally, that will produce the glory of God. In other words, it'll produce praise and worship in your life, but it'll begin to display and show forth what God is doing through you. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives will bring growth and victory. And so this outworking comes through His quickening. Uh, you know, remember the word in Romans eight eleven. it says that it's the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead? That word raised there is the word quicken. And it actually means in the Greek to revitalize or to energize or to make alive. Uh, to make alive. The sense is that the gospel and the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives gives us the ability to walk and serve God accurately and properly. Let's move on to Revelation 1 and verse 7. Remember we're talking about the seven Uh, the letters to the seven churches. Now in verse 7 it says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Now, this word clouds here actually refers to God is actually going to allow Jesus to appear And return actually and visibly. Because notice it says, not just the believers will see him, but it says everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And so it's a confirmation to us that the rapture and the coming of Christ uh, at the millennial reign is going to be an incredibly big event. But notice it says, he's coming with clouds. It doesn't say he's coming on the clouds. It's coming with clouds. It's a very specific sentence. And there's actually a lot of symbolism because firstly, with clouds, clouds in the Bible represent God's presence and God's leadership in our lives. But secondly, there's a symbolism here that coming with clouds speaks about the heavenly host of angels and believers who will come with Christ when he returns to the earth. It will literally look like a host of clouds. And it's referenced to Matthew 24, verse 30, uh, down to verse 32. And you can go read that later on. Then in verse 10, Revelations 1, verse 10 to 12, it continues and it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, a voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, 
to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands. Wow. Notice firstly, this, ver- this word voice is very significant. This word, word voice in, in the Greek speaks about a declaration. It says it comes as a trumpet. In other words, it's sounding the alarm. It's, it's declaring that God is about to do something and say something important. And how do you know when, when we speak to or refer to someone as having a voice? Uh, you know, if you're looking for a, a specific professional opinion about something, you're going to look for someone who has the expertise or they are the voice in regards to that. So when, when we refer to someone having a voice, we're talking about someone who is active, professional, participating in a role which brings forth influence so that we have clarity and are able to make good decisions. It speaks about someone who has authority about something. And so this word voice here is very specific. It's telling us that Jesus has the authority. But it goes a bit further because notice it says, when John turned to see the voice that was speaking to him, he saw the seven golden lampstands. And so we know this uh, from what we studied last week. Jesus was in the midst of the church because he had the seven golden lampstands in his hand. And so it speaks to you and I that Jesus is active in the church, but here's what's powerful. When the church walks and works with Jesus, we have his voice. And so we carry that authority and that clarity and that anointing. Let's look at the seven golden lampstands. And here we come to what I think is the most exciting part of the teaching today. And it's why we entitled uh, this, uh, the subtitle, You Are Golden. Notice he refers to the golden lampstands as golden. Now, what are the golden lampstands? It's the seven churches. And who makes up the seven churches? You and I. We are the body of Christ. And so we see here that I want to encourage you today. You are golden. You look and you are represented. When God sees you, he sees you golden. Now, what does it mean if you say to someone, you're golden? Well, it's a term of endearment and it's a declaration. If, if something is described as golden, it actually means that it is wonderful because it is likely to be successful, to be rewarding, and to be impactful because it is of the best kind or quality. That's how God sees you and I. We are of a great quality. We are bound to succeed because Christ is in the midst of us. Now, the reference to a lampstand being the church proves to you and I that the church is called to be the light of the world. There are so many churches today who have got caught up and focused on entertainment, on their programs, instead of being the light that shines in a dark place. And that's such a lesson we can learn from these uh, first three chapters of the book of Revelation. We exist as a church to become Christ-like, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. In other words, to win the lost 
and make disciples. And that's why we like our mission, which is at your service. We're here to serve God. We're here to serve each other. And we're here to serve our community. And it speaks to what I believe God is really talking to us about as a church at the moment. Going deeper and going wider. Getting more acquainted and experienced Jesus on a new level, but also going wider by reaching out with the love of God in our lives. Let's move down now to Revelations 1 and verse 16 as we dig into the life of the church and what these uh, seven letters in chapter 2 and 3 speak about. Revelations 1 verse 16, it says, Then he had in his right hand seven stars, and out his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now I'll show you just now, if you study this in the Greek, he refers to the seven stars as the seven angels, and most people think about, you know, there's an angel over every church, and then you think, well, what angel is it? But if you go study this in the Greek, if you look at the commentaries, the seven stars, which are referred to as the seven angels, are actually the pastors of the church, the, the leaders of the church, the fivefold ministry. And is it an incredible that he refers to them as stars? They are the, the fivefold ministry, listen, that are under shepherds to Jesus who is the great shepherd. He is the head of the church. He is the one who leads us. And notice it says, out of his mouth came a two-edged sword, which is the word of God. And so it's such a picture that ties in with the previous verse where it speaks about that voice. What is the voice? It's the voice of Jesus, but it becomes our voice when we speak the word of God as the fivefold ministry. And so it tells us that as we do this, notice what happens, we will become like a shining light that has strength. So when the church is able to submit to the fivefold ministry, that's why we need to always be sure we're in submission to a local church, to the fivefold ministry that gives our lives protection clarity and connection, and the anointing will go forth. And we'll talk more about that in the upcoming week. So the seven stars are the angels or the pastors of the church. Now have a look with me at Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, and it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What for? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now let's go and turn our attention to the seven lampstands and what we can learn. Remember we introduced them at the beginning of the teaching. We looked at all their strengths. And when we look at the diagram later, you can go to our website, to our resource page. You can click on the link and you'll see that we have that diagram if you want to download it or you want to print it for yourself. Now the seven lampstands help us to have discernment about where the church is standing spiritually. As we read each of the letters, as we look at the strengths, as we look at their weaknesses, as we look at what Jesus said to them, it helps us to grow in our discernment of where the church is and how we can participate in growing and doing our part. It gives us an ongoing personal application and encouragement to each individual believer that by God's grace, we can 
be overcomers. Now, the structure of the letters continue to follow that sevenfold pattern that unfolds throughout the book of Revelation. Remember, we spoke about it last week, where the number seven represents completion or perfection. So if we can deal with these things in our lives and in the life of the church, we're going to grow into completion. So the overview of each of these churches actually relates to us as individuals. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 20. Look what it says. But now indeed... There are many members, but one body. Many members, but one body. So he gives us such a clear structure. He he gives us the revelation of Jesus. He puts forth that it's the Holy Spirit doing the work in the life of the church or the life of each individual. Then he shows forth the seven stars, the pastors and the leaders of the local churches. Then he puts the local church in perspective. And here Paul brings out that while we're one body, we're individual members. And so that leads me to this very important statement. The church becomes what is leaders and its collective members or partners become. Think about it. What makes up the church? You and I as individuals. What makes the culture or the spirit of the church? is what the pastor or leader is, becomes what the church is. What you and I are as individuals in the church will create the culture and the life of that church. And that's what Jesus is addressing in these seven letters. Now, we need to understand that in our lives, we all know this as we've served God, there are ups and there are downs. There are mountaintops and there are valley experiences because life isn't linear It's an experience. We grow, we go through different seasons. And so Jesus isn't rebuking the church as such. He's evaluating and saying, these are the strengths. These are the things you're doing well. These are the things you're not doing so well. So so let's address those things so that you can go on and be an overcomer, so that you can go on and reap the rewards. So let's read on and look at the benefits and rewards and the ups and downs. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, Verses 23 to 27, look what it says here in these verses. It says, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable are those we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no Chism or separation in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Isn't that beautiful? And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So here's the question. If the church was a duplication or a multiplication of you as an individual, what would the church look like? Think about it. If the church was a duplication or a multiplication of me as an individual, what would it be like? When I ask that question and I look at these seven letters, it starts to help me 
not to feel condemned, but to be convicted, to, to have a conscience and to realize that God is not finished with me yet and he wants to continue the good work. So let's go back to our diagram of the seven churches and let's look at their failures and let's look at the instruction that goes with it. To the first church, it says this, you have forsaken your first love. So what must you do? Repent and go back to the works you did first. The next one, there were no failures. Isn't that amazing? This church was encouraged just to remain faithful and to continue, even although there was a lot of persecution going on, God said he would look after them. In the next church, their failures were, they, they were tolerating cults, wrong teaching, idolatry, and immorality. And what did Jesus say to them? Repent. The word repent simply means this. Change your mind and go in another direction. And then the next church we see here, it spoke about was to tolerate pagan cults. Uh, Sorry, they were tolerating pagan cults. They were tolerating idolatry and immorality. And what does Jesus say to them? The same thing. Repent. Change your mind. Turn and go in another direction. To the next church, he said this. Repent and turn back to Christ. Strengthen what little faith remains. And then, finally, to the last two churches, to the second church, which was the church of Philadelphia, there was actually no failures or weaknesses. And he said this to them, I've placed before you an open door, and I will keep you from the hour of trial. And then here's the most heart-wrenching or sad thing. The church of Laodicea, the complacent church, And the sad thing about this church is its weakness was it was neither hot nor cold. They were relying on their riches, or we could say it like this, on their own ability. And they didn't realize that spiritually they had been impoverished and they were unable to make an impact. And to them, he doesn't just say repent. He doesn't say change your mind and go in the other direction. He says Turn from being indifferent. And I think it's such a sad thing when we find our own lives in a place of complacency. When we look at the church and the church is complacent, they're not rising up, they're not being who God's called them to be. Let's strive to be the church of Philadelphia where Jesus said to them, man, there's nothing that I want to say to you that would cause me to not want to partner with you and walk with you. Let's continue to be the faithful witnesses Uh, that would cause others to want to come to Christ. Let's keep looking at Jesus and allowing him to work in our lives. Look what Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, uh, as we just read it together quickly. In verse 1 of Ephesians 4, he says, Therefore, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. These seven letters are a clarion call to you and I that we should become the kind of church that Jesus would want to partner with. We want to become the the kind of church that Jesus is passionate about. I want you to know God loves his people. God loves the church and he wants to walk amongst us. And he wants to build a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. And just like Jesus, let's continue to be faithful. So here are the promises in our diagram, the promises to those who are faithful. Look at at these incredible promises 
to all seven churches. Number one, you'll eat from the tree of life. Number two, I will give you the crown of life and you will not be hurt by the second death. I will give you hidden manna and a stone with a new name on it. The fourth church, he said, faithful, hold fast until I come and I will give you authority over the nations and the gift of the morning star. To the fifth church, he said, faithful, the faithful one will walk with Jesus and not be blotted out of the book of life. To the next church, he says, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. And then finally, he said, I will invite those who overcome to sit with me on the throne. Isn't it amazing that in each one of these Churches, when Jesus addressed them, he said, my desire is for you to grow out of this area, deal with the things, because when you're faithful, like I'm faithful, when you look to my faithfulness, you'll begin to see there are rewards to those who serve and live for Christ. So as I close today, let's turn to Ephesians 4, and I want to read from verse 13. Remember, we read 11 and 12 where it spoke about the fivefold ministry, which represent the, the seven stars or the seven pastors and leaders of the church. And here's the, the continuation of that into each individual believer. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. There we have it, to a complete man. The seven churches collectively becoming to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 says that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head of the church, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what each joint supplies, according to the effective working by what each part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And look at verse 17. He says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, but to walk in the spirit and the life of Jesus Christ. Can we pray together this morning? Isn't God good? He's got a plan for you and I, and he's fixing to continue to walk in the midst of the church and help us to grow and to become the fullness of all Christ is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you never give up on us. Thank you that your grace abounds to us in every area as we look to you. We ask you to fill us with grace and peace to keep serving you. So I thank you for every person that's listening and watching today, that you'll continue to bless them and keep them. Cause your face to shine upon them. Protect them and heal them so that they can shine the light wherever they are. Perhaps if you're listening today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, it would be such an honor to lead you into a relationship with your God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just pray this simple prayer with me? Be sincere in your heart and allow God to do the rest. Let's pray. Say, Father God, I believe today that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for me, and that you raised him from the dead 
so that I could be saved. I accept and receive Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer, you are now born again and you've been washed in the blood of Jesus and you are brand new spiritually. So please send us a WhatsApp, send us an email, let us know you made that decision and we'll respond by sending you a Bible if you don't have one, a little book that will help you and explain and help you to understand what it means to be born again. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love if you have a prayer request today, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you and pray with you in whatever it is you're trusting God for. God bless you. We love you. And we can't wait to see you Thursday in our online Bible study and communion. Thank you.